Hey there, everyone. So do you ever get tired of the same old ways of seeing things? Do you ever get the urge to cut through the world of everyday surface appearances and look for the light that's rare in the depths? Well, then maybe the wisdom of podcast is for you. Because in this podcast, we explore great works of philosophy and literature and art and try to pull out of them what's most invigorating and interesting and inspiring. Whether they come from the works of Plato or Dostoevsky or Picasso, here we explore ideas that move mountains and rock the soul. So come join us, won't you? Come worship at the altar of ideas and come celebrate the dancing of thought. And um, don't be afraid of the leaping sparks, as you can be certain of one thing. They will kindle the light inside of you. Welcome to the Wisdom of. Coming up today, Thomas Nagel and the notion of absurdity. Yeah, I really, I really don't know quite how to start this one. I just know I wanted to talk about just briefly the idea of selling out. I want to talk about it just for a little bit because a little bit seems warranted because it feels like it's an idea that nearly no one, never mind, cares about. They don't even think about it anymore. But part of me wants to talk about it for hours, though, for the exact same reason. For good or for ill, the idea was relevant. Some bad, some good. It, you know, it could say it was like a, a thing that was like policing the arts at limited directions you could take things. But the good, the good did try to keep the focus on the art, on whatever, on the music, on the movies, on the writing, rather than having it fit into some sort of corporate agenda or kind of vanity trap. But it was a big thing when we were kids. It's, it's no thing now, it feels like. But when I think about the idea of selling out or not selling out, I, I don't really think about like, uh, I don't know, like uh, Kurt Cobain might come to mind, but he's not a good choice. He thought of himself as a sellout. I don't even think of like punk rock legends like Ian MacKay. The first guy, strangely, that comes to mind to me is Bill Watterson, creator of Calvin and Hobbes. Yeah, a comic strip creator. One about a little boy and his cuddly stuffed tiger friend. It's the embodiment, to me anyways, of a kind of punk rock, no sellout ethos. He never allowed merchandising, no stuffed animals, no t-shirts, nothing. Those decals you might see of Calvin uh, pissing on a Ford logo, completely bootleg. Semi-related to what you do here... Calvin and Hobbes were named after famous philosophers, John Calvin and Thomas Hobbes. And I always thought, so like, okay, here's where I'm going with this finally. If Bill Watterson did sell out, I imagine like some big corporate bigwig guy smoking a stogie and he's demanding a new character. The kids need a plushy new toy to buy. 
I think today's focus, Thomas Nagel, would have been the perfect namesake. Calvin, Hobbes, and Nagel. So what would Nagel be? A plucky cockatoo with attitude or a sassy Martian with even more attitude? Or you can just talk about the real guy. The comic strip Calvin and Hobbes and Nagel. Hmm, I don't know if it's got quite the same appeal as the original. But anyway, why don't we move on to something slightly less um, stupid? Yeah, so who was the real Thomas Nagel? Well, first, and as usual, a brief summary. So, Thomas Nagel was an American philosopher who taught at New York University. In this episode, we're going to focus in on a couple of his works. One, a book he wrote called Mortal Questions. And another, an essay entitled The Absurd. Basically, we're going to explore what it is he means by absurdity, and um, how it is he suggests that we best respond to it. When I think about Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross, the uh, classic testosterone talkie from, from the early 90s, the thing that comes most readily to my mind is not the same, I assume, as what most would. These days, I think most of you sickos out there would probably think about whether or not Alec Baldwin or Kevin Spacey had some sort of grotesque Hollywood bet as to who could ruin their career in the most horrifyingly absurd way. But those thoughts don't cross my mind, sickos. I don't think about it. But the winner would be Kevin Spacey if I thought about it, but I don't. So let's move on. It's not the coffees for closers or the always be closing line either. It's not the Pacino uh, ripping Spacey's character a new one or even Jack Lemmon's kind of a brilliantly quiet desperation. They're all amazing. But no, to me, it's the charmingly befuddled George played by Alan Arkin. I just love him in this movie. I was going to try an impression of him, but based on the feedback of my Norwegian impressions and all the kind of stuff, it doesn't work out. But to me, the strange thing about Arkin is he is indelibly that age. You know what I mean? Like he's 50 and up and I can't see him as a young man. Like Catch-22, the adaptation of the famous novel, popped on in front of my face and it was good. There he was, a young Alan Arkin, full head of hair or as full as it could be. And I couldn't handle it. I had to turn it off. But if I remember the book, they have a pretty good definition in Catch-22 about the absurdity of war. I think the example goes something like this. like It's about pilots and they're running dangerous combat missions. And as a pilot, if you tell your commanding officers that you don't want to go up, you have to. But you don't have to go if you're crazy. But if you tell your officers that you're crazy and you can't go up, by virtue of telling them that, you're proving that you're sane. Because trying to get out of the combat missions is the only rational decision you can make. I might have uh, butchered that thing, but that's one definition of the absurd. How about Nagel's? Yeah, actually, uh, that's a funny example of absurdity. And like you said, Catch-22 is is full of them. Well, so yeah, your, your question was, what's Nagel's understanding of absurdity? So before I get to that, let me um, back up a bit and try to provide some some context, because it might help. Okay, so Thomas Nagel is in some ways following in the footsteps of many of the heavyweight existentialists that came before him, and who, in one way or another, talked about the notion of absurdity. So 
There's a Heidegger, for example, who spoke about our being abandoned in the universe. And um, there's Camus, who spoke about our being confronted by a silent cosmos. And then uh, Sartre, who talked about the lack of any fundamental justification to our lives. These existentialists are the ones who initiated this theme of absurdity. Now, for them, I think you could argue that fundamentally, the absurd is a consequence of a fallen God. That's to say, it's because God is absent, or um, dead, that absurdity arises. In other words, for these philosophers, it's something about the world, or, you know, what it lacks, that explains absurdity. Okay, now, Nagel's sympathetic to the absurd. He, he believes in it. But for him, it's not something that really has anything to do with atheism. It's not the consequence of it. In other words, nothing about the way the world is, or what's absent from it, is responsible for absurdity. The cause of absurdity doesn't lie in the collision between ourselves and the world, as Camus might say. No, for Nagel, it's we ourselves who are responsible for it. It's we who, who give birth to it. As Nagel says, if there's any collision at all, it's a collision within us. Okay, so what's he thinking here exactly? Well, he's thinking something like this. He's saying that absurdity is the tension or the collision between two perspectives that we human beings can take on things. Namely, a subjective one and an objective one. Now, what does he mean by subjective and objective? Well, by subjective perspective, he means a view of things as it's experienced from our own individual, everyday point of view. And by objective perspective, he means our ability to, to stand back and see the world and our place in it from, from nowhere in particular, from a centerless perspective, or from a high up above, say. Okay, now, what's important here is how these two perspectives yield such different and conflicting results for us. So, from our everyday subjective view and experience of things, things have value for us, right? And, and we take what we do seriously, whether it's uh, fixing a bike or, or doing a podcast or, or going to work. But when we stand back from all of this, and view life from a more cosmic, objective perspective, like we would do when we watch an ant engaged in some uh, frantic labor, we realize that ultimately none of what we're doing has any significance or meaning. Now, this is how absurdity is born, says Nagel. Absurdity lies in the collision between the seriousness with which we take our lives and the projects in it and the perpetual possibility, because of this larger cosmic view, of taking everything about which we're so serious as arbitrary and open to doubt. Okay, but maybe all of this was, um, was a bit too quick. So, you know what? Let me go back to the ant again. Because actually, that example might be useful. Okay, so I think it's pretty clear that an ant really just lives off of um, instinct right? That's to say, an ant doesn't know that it's an ant, and it doesn't have intentional projects in mind when it's, uh, when it's working. In other words, it doesn't have aspirations. 
It just does what it does because it lives on impulse. But here's the thing. We humans seem to be different. We don't live off of instinct alone, right? We have self-consciousness or the ability for self-transcendence. And so we're aware of having plans and projects. In other words, we consciously go after things or pursue goals. And so we take things in ourselves seriously. That's the subjective perspective. It's where the things that we do matter to us. But again, then a problem arises that the ant also doesn't have. The problem is that because we have this special capacity for self-transcendence, that means that we can also step back from what we're doing and see our lives and our projects for what they are from a higher or depersonalized perspective. And um, what do we discover from that point of view? Well, that everything we're taking so seriously is ultimately futile and insignificant. In other words, no matter how serious we get about the things we do in life, we can always adopt a point of view from outside of ourselves, a, a detached observer view, where our seriousness appears gratuitous and uh, slightly comical. Actually, in this way, compared to us, the ant is lucky because it just can't appear ludicrous to itself. Well, when these two viewpoints collide in us, the subjective and the objective, that's the absurd, says Nagel. And actually, there's something important here to add. Nagel doesn't think that the detached objective view wins out in the end. No, actually, to get more specific, what makes it all absurd is that even when we see ourselves objectively, from the outside, so to speak, we still don't completely abandon the subjective view, the view that makes us commit to particular things in our own life. We still take things seriously. So, what it is, is it's really the coexistence and irreducible polarity of these two views or ways of experiencing the world, the objective and the subjective, that constitutes absurdity for Nagel. That's to say that we take things seriously all the while knowing that we really have no reason to. And actually for Nagel, being human beings, this situation is unavoidable. That's to say, this oscillation, this friction between the objective and the subjective is just what it means to be human. Absurdity is the most human thing about us. It's our most advanced characteristic. It's what or who we are. It's the price we pay for a transcendent consciousness. Absurdity is just not an issue for ants. There was a, there was a novel written in 1958 called Red Alert. And it was a tense thriller, apparently. I guess I've heard. I've never read it. But I've been told it's this tense Cold War thriller focused on the absurd ease by which like, a total nuclear holocaust could be triggered. Now, when it came time to adapt this work into a film, Stanley Kubrick looked at it and thought, hey, the best way, maybe the only way to put this on screen was to keep the absurdity keep the horrifying consequences of, of nuclear proliferation, but lean into the comedy of it all. 
Like just one example, General Ripper's obsession with his precious bodily fluids is worth the price of admission in itself. It's a hilarious movie if you can handle the yucky old black and whiteness of it. And not for nothing, if Wikipedia can be trusted, the serious novel ends with nuclear disaster completely averted. But in the lighter comedy, it's strongly implied that the world, from a human point of view, is over, give or take a few mind shafts. Now, a lot of times, faced with absurdity, quite a few people, they tilt towards despair. But could it be the same sense of yucks? Maybe, just maybe, perchance, could it be a more valid way to look at the absurd? Or just the same? Or less? I don't know. No, yeah, you know, I think you and uh, Kubrick might be onto something. A sense of yucks might just work. And um, I'll get there. But um, let's proceed in step. Okay, so the question is, what does Nagel think is the right response to absurdity? What kind of attitude should we adopt to the absurdity of human life? Well, actually, here we should first say something about Albert Camus' response to it, because Nagel discusses Camus and uses him as a sort of point of contrast to his own view. So, according to Camus, the right way to approach absurdity, and he does have a slightly different conception of the absurd than Nagel does, but the right way to approach it is not to give up on life or, or hide from it, but it's to confront it head on. It's to honestly and lucidly confront the ultimate meaninglessness of things. It's to be strong and face the most dispiriting of truths without wavering. It's to accept that there is no ultimate hope and to go on living passionately despite that. So the sum of it is that the right response to absurdity is to be, well, brave and heroic. Like the mythical Sisyphus, it's to shake your fists at the gods and say, I don't care that you've condemned me to a life of futility and pointlessness. I will go on anyway. As Camus makes Sisyphus say, there is no fate that cannot be surmounted by defiance and scorn. Okay, now, you know, there's something very heavy and serious about all of this, right? Well, that's what Nagel thinks anyway. He takes Camus' response to be somewhat overly dramatic and, and histrionic. Now, part of why Nagel thinks Camus' response is a bit misplaced is because for him, for Nagel, absurdity, this friction between the subjective and the objective, is simply what makes us up. As he says, it's the way that we're put together. So how can we hate or defy or meaningfully escape who we are as human beings? Why try to rebel or get upset at something that couldn't be otherwise? Okay, so given this, what does Nagel recommend then? Well, actually, your Stanley Kubrick example is apt here. Because Nagel thinks that the best response to the absurd is, well, a combination of irony and laughter and humor. But you know what, before I get into this, it might be useful to say something more broadly about the nature of laughter and humor. I don't know, I think it might shed some light on what Nagel has in mind. 
Okay, so although most philosophers haven't thought laughter and humor to be that worthwhile to write about, there have been a few exceptions. So, take for example, Thomas Hobbes. So Hobbes thought that the nature of laughter was all about laughing at someone. It was about laughing at the imperfections and the misfortunes of others. So for him, there was um, a malice to it and an associated feeling or expression of superiority. Now, suffice it to say, this sort of conception of laughter and humor isn't what Nagel has in mind. Okay, well, then there's um, Immanuel Kant. So Kant said something interesting. He said that laughter was something like what happens when we have an expectation that's suddenly reduced to nothing. Like, say, um, pulling at a door when it needs pushing. So, basically, laughter is the result of a kind of um, incongruity. Okay, well, I think that's sort of getting closer to what Nagel is talking about when he talks about laughter and humor. It has something to do with this idea of there being this discrepancy between our aspirations and reality, between the subjective and the objective points of view. And so, there's an incongruity at the heart of the nature of human beings. Now, for Nagel, this recognition doesn't call for, for gloom. No, it's, it's actually kind of funny. I mean, we're full of doubts that we're unable to answer, yet full of purposes that we're unable to abandon. We're conscious at the same time of our importance and our insignificance. We're so serious about an existence that's ultimately senseless. In a way, we're all in the position of being knighted as our pants fall down. This is absurdity. And it's an unavoidable and inextricable part of human existence. So, let's laugh and accept it. And so maybe be more light-hearted because of it. As I said, for Nagel, Camus is just too dramatic about everything. In fact, ultimately, Camus fails to appreciate the cosmic unimportance of the whole situation. I mean, as Nagel says... If there's no reason to believe that anything matters, then that doesn't matter either, does it? And so we can let go a bit and approach our lives with irony and humor instead of with what Nietzsche called the spirit of gravity. Listening to the Wisdom of Podcast. If you want to know more about this topic or the podcast in general, visit wisdomofpod.com. And as usual, we love to read your questions and comments. Reach us at info at wisdomofpod.com or on Twitter at wisdom underscore pod. Our next episode Hannah Arendt.